You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code PLAY for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Screw the template. Own your values and amplify your influence. This is the Flaunt Your Fire podcast, where we defy stale marketing advice and own our power. I'm your host and CEO of Flaunt Your Fire, India Jackson. And I want to know, have you ever been told that you need to charge your worth or you're not charging your worth? If so, today's episode is for you. I truly believe that your worth, your value as a human here on earth is so much bigger, is so much more precious than anyone could ever afford to pay for. And so if it's not about charging your worth, what is it about then? What does it actually take to build wealth? What does it actually take to build the success and the financial stability that you'd like to have? Well, today I'm joined by Jaquette Timmons to have a conversation about exactly that. Jaquette Timmons focuses on the human side of money. She works as a financial behavioralist and is committed to getting you to see that you don't manage money. You manage your choices around money. She holds an MBA in finance and an undergrad degree in marketing, a combination that she credits in part for being able to blend her analytical mind and her creative spirit in service to helping people shift how they look at money, how they perceive its role in their life, and how they give it direction. Without further delay, let's get this show on the road. Thank you so much for being here today, Jaquette. Thank you for having me. I'm really delighted. I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) Same, same. So I feel like when I think of money in the business space, in the entrepreneurial space, one of the things that I hear come up a lot is this idea of charging your worth. And when I decided that it was a conversation that needed to be had here on the podcast, I thought of no one other than you to invite to have it with me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, I feel like as, well, for context for people who are new to you, as two women of color, um, it comes up a lot. And there's a lot of layers in that of this idea of charging your worth. So when you think 
of charging your worth or when you hear someone say, oh, well, you know, you need to price what you're worth. What comes to mind for you when you hear this phrase? Oh, my God. Oh, I'm so glad we are having this conversation and kicking off this episode with this topic because it is one of my biggest, absolute biggest pet peeves when it comes to pricing. So what does it, you know, what comes to mind for me is, you know, we're black. My heritage is Jamaican American. I'm not familiar with yours, but our ancestral history has the, you know, the fact that there was a price tag put on our humanity. And so when people say charge what you're worth, it drives me crazy. It is almost for me like fingernails on a chalkboard because I'm like, do you really know what you are saying? And do you know what that just very viscerally conjures up for people who, not everybody perhaps, but for many people who look like you and me? Like, do you really know what you're saying? First of all, from a historical standpoint, and then second, you're missing the point. (laughs) It's not about charging what you're worth because there is no price on your humanity. It's about figuring out what the heck are you bringing to the table? What's the value of that? And when I say the value for me, how I am defining that is whatever it is that you do in the world, whatever the product, the service, the program, the thing that you are creating, whatever that is, you are helping someone to do something, to have something, to be someone that they would not be without whatever it is that you are contributing. And that is the the element that you are charging for. That's the value that you are charging for. And that has absolutely nothing to do with your worth as a human being. Uh, Thank you so much for saying that. Because for me, um, (laughs) being also, I identify as African-American, but having a very mixed background in that and family members that I'm sure experienced slavery and having living family members that experience segregation and segregated schools. Yes, there's so many layers on that from a cultural standpoint mm-hmm. for people of color that I think that many of the business coaches um, just don't understand if they're not also of color is not on their radar. Mm-hmm. And then you also have what I feel like is this unhealthy attachment to your price Um it, it insinuates that when you are pricing something, that it has something to do with your value as a human. And right. I just don't think that that's necessarily, from my perspective, a healthy thing to do. I agree. I agree. And, you know, I, I, I always remind folks that in addition to, you know, whatever it is that you are helping someone do, have, or be, that that is a concatenation. You, you, you use the word layers. It's a concatenation of a lot of different things, right? It's your education, both formal and informal. It's your experience. It's your perspective. It's the gifts that you have, the talents. And like all of that shows up in your unique stamp on how you do what you do, the thing that makes your approach different from someone else's, that's what you're pricing. Not, I, I know I sound like a, a, ro- a broken record at this point, but um, it is such an important <laughs> conversation. And I really, really am glad that we're amplifying it here because we really have to change this discourse. 
Yeah. And I sit back and just my mind being a creative mind asks so many questions and gets so curious about things that I really wonder, like, where did this idea even come from? And what can we do, you know, instead of uh, teaching people that they need to charge their worth or that old statement of like, oh, you're not you're not charging your true value, you know, and like, what can we replace that with? How can we disrupt that? I think it's a combination of uh, being ever more mindful about our languaging and then also not only our own languaging, but calling people out <laughs> when they actually say charge what you're worth, like really call them out and say, what do you mean by that? Because maybe they actually do have the same definition that I would hope more people would adopt. And in that case, it's just a matter of changing the words that you use but maybe they really do <laughs> attach it to someone's worth as a human being. And that's an, that's an invitation to have a conversation because then that means, in my opinion, that they need to be a little bit educated. <laughs> um, so I think that's one of the things that we do. I think the other thing is some of it does indeed come from perhaps a, you know, a reality in that probably most of us, when we started out, if not many of us still, do indeed undercharge. And so perhaps, you know, getting people over that hump from undercharging and over delivering to figuring out what is that sweet spot for them, maybe their way of wrapping their hand around that or their head around that is by using the word, well, I'm undervaluing myself, so I'm going to charge. Um, maybe that's, you know, someone's solution. You know, I have, I've, personally have developed a framework and, and I've shared it with other, you know, inside other people's masterminds. I use it with all of my entrepreneurial clients. And that is looking at pricing through the lens of what I describe as the three sides. There's the financial piece. There's always the financial piece, but there's also always the emotional piece and the personal piece. And I don't think you can get your arms around those without really examining your relationship with money, with yourself, with your business and the people that you serve. So when I think our job is to call people out when they say it and 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 make sure that they understand the the magnitude and the power of their words and then introduce them to an alternative. And so for me, my framework is how I introduce people to an alternative. Yeah, I really love hearing that because whenever um, I've been exposed to business coaching, like early in my career, you know, when you're kind of duct taping things together and figuring it out and don't quite have mentors yet, most of the research that I did about pricing um, was coming from a very like comparative place to your competitors. Um, but I've never heard someone until I met you break that down into all three very important pieces that I think Inside, we know are there is the financial piece, but then also the emotional piece, which I see get bypassed so much. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to someone or like, what are your kind of viewpoints on that emotional piece of moving through having the courage to charge more? Yeah, I think... Um... I think one of the things that we get wrong just in general, <laughs> right, just from a societal standpoint is we reduce money to just pure numbers. And here's the deal. If success with money, whether it's with regards to your personal finances, your business finances, 
if success with money were purely a mathematical problem, everybody would have more than what they needed or wanted because two plus two is going to always equal four. And given that, <laughs> that's not the case, we've got to then, you know, ask ourselves, well, then what is going on? And, and the thing that's going on is we all react to money emotionally, which then means that when it comes to pricing, we're going to react to it emotionally. It's not a purely logical exercise. And I would even argue with people that would say to me, well, you know, Procter & Gamble, they're not applying any emotional stuff to their pricing. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> they, the brand manager may not be inserting their personal relationship into money with their pricing strategy for their brand. You know, Maybe it's tied. But you can rest assured that they are thinking about whomever is doing the laundry. They're thinking about how can I emotionally connect with that person? So there's just no way of extracting oneself from that. So when it comes to the question of, you know, what should I charge for something? I think people have to remember that while that is a ubiquitous question, the answer to it is very unique. And it means that you have to go through a process of really understanding, well, what am I bringing to the table? And recognize what other people are bringing to the table as well, not from a competitive standpoint, but simply from a, where do I fit in the, the spectrum, right? So I, I love to use this example when I am doing workshops on this, on this topic of a hamburger. I love a hamburger. And, you know, I, I know not everybody eats meat and not everybody loves a hamburger, but if we just look at it in terms of the continuum from a price standpoint of where you can get one, you can get one at a McDonald's drive through and you can get one also at a steakhouse, right? And in between, you've got a diner and a pub or a bistro. And all of them come with different price points. And with those different price points is a, is, is a way of setting your expectation around the quality of the beef that you're going to eat, around the quality of your dining experience. And so as you know, listeners think about their businesses and what it is that they're bringing to the table, they get to choose on that continuum of budget, standard, mid-range premium, where do I see my business? Where do I want my business to be? Where do I want my people to see me? Um, and, you know, the services that I bring to the table. Hopefully you offer more than one product or service. And so in that regard, where do you fall? How many products and services and programs perhaps do you have that are at the premium level versus at the budget level or somewhere in between? I think we're, we far too often want to have a really quick, easy, simplistic answer to things. I call it the, the peril of the microwave society. And these are the kinds of the, you know, questions we need to ask ourselves, be engaged with, with other people to just really kind of dig into where, where, where do you want to be? Where do you want your people to view you? And how do you want to position yourself? And that's how you kind of back into what ends up being that number for you. So I love that concept because it really um, ties back into branding and brand visibility in a sense that, you know, when you're thinking about these prices and the different tiers that you can have and how you can make your business or your services or your products be accessible to different price points, you're also going to have different customer journeys, different customer experiences within that, which then 
will also kind of create a, a slightly different culture, possibly for each product or service, depending on the price point. And I've found that um, when you can think of it that way, it really does allow you to kind of have the best of both worlds and also still maintain that consistency and the type of person. You might just be getting the same type of person, but at a different point in their journey within the same business, which is so, so cool to be able to offer that. And I'm wondering your thoughts um, of how that might play into like being more accessible financially to different um, income levels and different experience levels as far as your clients are concerned? I think, you know, one of the really critical things to consider when it comes to the question of how can I be more accessible, or let me, let me put it this way. I think a piece and an and, and extra layer of that question that needs to be also added to that is without financially mm -hmm. sabotaging my own financial health. If you I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> if you cannot do that without causing harm to your business or the condition of your own personal finances, you ought not to do it because you end up doing and being of service to absolutely no one. So the first thing I think you have to do is really kind of assess what is the condition? What's the financial health of your business? What's the financial health of your personal finances right now? And if there is room for you to create something that makes it, gives you the capacity to create something that is more financially accessible to other people and that doesn't harm what you're doing and what you have in your current foundation, go for it. If it does or if it will, put it in the parking lot. It doesn't make you a bad person or, you know, someone who's not a good business owner if you can't be as giving as you would like to be in the moment. But what that then does is it says, okay, at some point I want to be able to do X. So what do I need to do in terms of my business model and my pricing and my sales and all of that to get to that point? So if you can't do it now, it doesn't mean that you're bad and it doesn't mean that you can't do it in the future, but then that means making sure that you prepare for it. But if you're trying to do it now and that's going to sabotage you, you're not doing yourself any good. You're a martyr and like, we don't need that. Yeah, I can completely agree with that. Um, and it makes me think about uh, really like, how are you viewing your business as a whole as well? Um, one of the things that I've heard you talk about is viewing your business as an investment. Would you um, mind explaining, you know, what that means to you and what that can look like for others? Yeah. So I, I say that in the context of when we're talking about building wealth and, you know, we are typically focused on financial wealth in that regard, and we should be. And when we're talking about that, right, we're talking about making sure that the assets that we have are greater than the liabilities that we owe. Well, in the big scheme of things, very broadly, there are really three ways that we can build our wealth. We either own a business, invest in the stock market, or have income producing real estate. Those are the three primary ways that people build wealth. And I think that a couple of things. One, I don't think people are very 
direct and, and intentional and clear with themselves around the pathways that they want to pursue. And then second, they'll know what their number is. So when it comes to your business, what's the valuation of your business? Even if it remains always a small team and you know, you're know you the, the person that owns 100% of the stock in your company, right? Um, even if it always stays that way, what is your number? What's that number that's going to make you say, yes, I am wealthy? What's the same in terms of your investment portfolio if you decide that, yes, investing in the stock market is one of the pathways that I want to pursue for investing? What's the number that you need to see that will make you say that you're wealthy? And similarly, if you opt for the real estate route, what's that number? And I think, A, people don't intentionally say, okay, these are the this is the one pathway, these are the two pathways, or I'm going to go for all three. Like they don't make a, you know, they don't put a stake in the ground and say what they're going to do. And then they don't have an idea of what their number is. And my whole thing is, if you don't put a stake in the ground, if you don't know what your number is, how the heck do you know if whether or not the, the choices and the decisions and the behaviors that you are acting out on today, how are they going to help you get to wherever it is that you want to be in the future? Yeah, I hear clarity um, being a necessity. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm taking away from that. Yeah, and and you know, yeah. for me, uh, clarity is greater than certainty. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why people shy away from being, you know, from wanting to put a stake in the ground is because they feel like if they do that, they can't change their mind. You can always change your mind, and you know, they're like, oh, but I don't know about the number. The number doesn't have to be right. You just got to have a number. <laughs> So yeah, clarity. I, I am a huge fan of clarity. Um, are there any tools or resources or frameworks um, that you can think of that would be beneficial to someone who is starting to figure out their number? Um, well, selfishly, I would say, you know, download the financial wheel exercise that I have, because that will give you an idea of what your financial vision is. But even if someone doesn't want to do that, just simply ask by sitting with the question, you know, mind map it out, you know, and, and think of it through the lens of, well, what is it that I want money to do for me in my business and in my life? Because I'm a huge proponent of your business is not just to be in service to other people, right? Your business should be in service to your life as well. And one of the best business decisions that you can make is to make sure that it is setting you up to live and work comfortably, however it is that you define that. So that then means that your personal finances need to be healthy as well. So in terms of answering that question, mind map it out. Like, what is it that I want in general how is my business going to help me to achieve that? And what do the numbers look like in order for that to happen? And you can't just ask these questions once, right? Yeah. You've got to, it's got to be the kind of thing where you're having this conversation with yourself in an ongoing manner. And so it's never just set it and, and you know, do it once and it's, it's set and done. It's like, no, do it once to get started. But that's the beginning of a conversation that never ends. Yeah, and I found that your financial will exercise is like super valuable. So oh! I'm gonna make sure that we link to that in the show notes oh, as well. That's awesome. I didn't know you did it. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So if you're listening, definitely check that out because I can say as someone who um, you know, very early in my journey, 
had a hard time with um, charging over a certain dollar amount and figuring out like, what do I need to price and where do I um, invest and where do I save? You know, these types of exercises are really helpful in just kind of getting the ball rolling instead of it living in your head. <laughs> I'm so glad. And you know, the other thing that you just sharing that made me think of one of the other things that I think will be really helpful in terms of people, you know, backing into well, what's their number when it comes to charging is to remember this. And I'm just using this for illustrative purposes. Let's say you charge a thousand dollars for something. You don't get a thousand dollars, people. <laughs> you get seven hundred. Yes. You know, you get seven hundred, maybe even a little bit less. So then it's a question of with whatever is left over. Are you able to do the things that you want to do, need to do? And that, that completely changes the dynamic, I think, when people stop thinking in gross numbers, even at a business level, and start thinking from a net perspective. Because then you're like, wait a second, I charged $1,000 for X, but I'm really only going to be able to start working with 700 Do I feel good about the input, right? That means your energy, your effort, your intellectual time, your creative time. Do you feel good about all that you're bringing so that you can show up for that person at that number, not the $1,000 number, at that 700 or 650 number? Do you feel good about that? That's such a great reminder because I can tell you, like, I think I started my business in 2008 you know, and for a lot of creatives that listen to this or designers, like you don't get that extra business piece in your education. So you leave college and you're thinking, oh yeah, I'm charging a thousand dollars. I'm going to get a thousand dollars. Like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of us that have been in it for a while, um, now it being over 10 years for me, it's like that reminder is still necessary sometimes because what you said, which is super important, is how are you going to feel showing up for the dollar amount after the taxes are taken out, after you've compensated your team members or your virtual assistant or the different services that go into what you're doing as far as your business expenses. And I found what is really common for a lot of our listeners and our clients at Flaunt Your Fire um, as well as pause in the play is that if you don't feel really great about something, it's going to be hard to show up for it. It's going to be hard to do it. Yeah. Um, and so that's a super important part that you said that I just want to make sure that like people really heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you don't want to feel resentful or, or I should say, if you, be if you begin noticing that you feel resentful, rest assured that the person on the other side has picked it up as well. They may not be able to put their finger on what makes it off, but they know that something is off. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, and at that point, you're starting to look at your public reputation, which is a big thing that we talk about here. Mm -hmm. um, you want as much as possible for every client to feel like they had an amazing experience because then they're likely to bring you two to three more clients Absolutely. at least. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, really important to kind of keep track of where are you at on that energetic scale of showing up for the clients. Totally. One and of the I things that you talk about as well is like taking risk. 
Uh-huh. Um, sorry. Well, I was going to say the other thing that I, I think um, can help you do is um, I always try to get people to think of, and maybe this is the investment management part of me coming out. I, I always try to get people to think of the, their package of offerings as a portfolio. And if you think of it as a portfolio and you break it down and you're looking at what is contributing the most to the bottom line, I think the other thing is to look at it in terms of what's taking the most in terms of, again, your energy, your effort, et cetera. And what that can help you do is kind of determine whether or not something that you offer needs to stay in the portfolio or needs to be removed or something else needs to be added to it. So I just wanted to make sure to say that as well, because I think that that kind of a framework in terms of thinking about what you do as a portfolio can be really helpful in terms of, again, determining what stays, what what remains, but gets gets tweaked, and then maybe what goes away. I love that. It takes me back to... Um... <laughs> the days of having to put together photography portfolios. And one of the concepts that we always said is that um, people remember like in your portfolio, like the worst performing piece or like the worst photo. So like really constantly evaluating what photo needs to go. And sometimes it's eliminating services mm-hmm. or pictures from your portfolio or mm-hmm. things from your website instead of thinking of what can I add. Yeah. <laughs> So I know that you do talk about financial risk and over here at Font Your Fire, we're all about like doing the scary thing and realizing that when you're doing something scary, um, it usually means you're at like a growth edge. And on the other side of that, either you're going to have a, a amazing win or you're going to fail spectacularly, meaning you're going to learn a whole lot of lessons from that failure that will carry through with you. Um, what does taking financial risk look like from your lens? So let me first define or share um, my definition of risk. And I'm again, I'm going to lean into my investment management background a little bit here. So, you know, typically mm-hmm. what people will do is they'll say when it comes to investing, well, I don't want to invest in the stock market because that's risky. And what they are afraid of is the risk of losing their money. And it's a legitimate risk because that's possible. <laughs> but in addition to what yeah. you can potentially lose, there's another risk, and the risk is the opportunity cost. So if we continue with this example, if you don't invest in the stock market and you keep your money in cash or you know bonds, what ends up happening is you lose out on the opportunity for that money to grow and to appreciate and hopefully appreciate at a level where it outpaces inflation. So the first thing that I want to say is that there are two risks. There's the risk of losing something. There's the opportunity risk if you don't do something. For me, when it comes to pricing, the way that I ask people to think about it is if you are afraid to quote a particular price, ask yourself the question of what's the risk that I'm afraid of taking? Am I afraid that if I put this price out there that someone's going to say no or they're going to push back and and I'm going to feel like I need to justify it? And if that's the case, what's the worst that could happen? And so what I say to people is when it comes to when it comes to the financial risk, especially as it pertains to pricing, 
the key here is to figure out what's the risk that you are afraid of. Are you afraid of putting it out there and, and getting crickets? Or are you afraid of putting it out there or not, or you choose not to put it out there. And then therefore the risk is you don't put it out there and then you don't get feedback and you don't know what tweaks mm-hmm. you need to make. So for me, the finance, that, that's, that's one financial risk is um, the pricing that you decide to have or you don't decide to have. Another financial risk when it comes to business is not being clear when you hire folks to do stuff for you and whatever that capacity is, not being clear around your why. Because if you're not clear about your why, then you really don't have a way of evaluating if that was a financial investment that was worth your time, worth your time and worth your dollars. And then similarly, another financial risk is um, if you don't upgrade your you know, equipment, whatever that equipment may be. Like at some point, like I'm sitting here thinking, okay, it is time. I need to get a new laptop. <laughs> I have, you know, <laughs> I have drained everything. I'm there with you. <laughs> um, and so for me, the financial risk becomes how much not buying that new laptop is actually slowing me down because my laptop is so old. So I look at financial risks from a, a number of different lenses, you know, because we've been talking about pricing. I think there's the pricing piece because I think, you know, folks hire people to do things for them with them. There's that piece. And then there's just, you know, the infrastructure, the operations of your business. Super valuable information there. Uh, (laughs) So thank you for sharing. (laughs) Sorry about the buzzer on the door. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Uh, Speaking of your door, um, a little bit off subject, but I know that you um, are a New Yorker and you're from Brooklyn. (laughs) So (laughs) it's been an interesting year for you, right? (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. To say the least. Um, and I'm really curious to know, you know, how has 2020 kind of shifted how you are taking financial risks or approaching your business um, to still continue to be able to be successful despite the craziness that has been this year? Ooh, girl, you're not lying. So, you know, it's really... That's a big question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. But you know, it's really interesting because um, I am fantastic. And I sometimes feel a little self-conscious saying that, but I always want to remind people that it is coming from a deep, deep, deep place of gratitude. Because my business, I've got three main pillars. I do coaching, mostly with entrepreneurs working with their personal finances and or coaching around, you know, their business and their personal finances. I'm a for hire speaker. So I do a lot of engagements for law firms. I, you know, more recently did a multi-city, seven city tour for one of the, you know, AM law, 200 law firms traveling across the country doing workshops for their partners and and associates. And then I also host my own events. Those last two Mm -hmm. are all up until 
March in person. <laughs> so on March 12th, yeah. <laughs> right? My whole world changed. On March 15th, I was scheduled to be leaving New York, going out of town to speak at a conference. And that all went away on March 12th. So on March 12th, I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> What is going to happen? Because every year it's like a horse race between, like I'm a huge Yankee fan. So if you ever go to a Yankee game and you're at Yankee Stadium, there's always the, the, the trains, right? And it's the B or the D train go, and they're racing. So it's always one of those, you know, it's a race between my coaching and the speaking in terms of what's going to contribute the most to my bottom line. And so I freaked the heck out because I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen. However, the beautiful thing that unfolded was that I started doing my pricing workshops that I would normally present at a conference, tweaked them up a little bit, and started presenting them inside other people's masterminds. And that was a vertical that I had never, ever, ever thought of before, even though I know a handful of people that run masterminds. It never occurred to me that that would be a natural collaboration. <laughs> um, and so that has had a tremendous impact on my business, so much so that my you know year to July, and or year to June anyway, when I did my quarterly review, revenue was up 47% over the same time period, 2019 which was a huge surprise for me because I didn't have any of the large checks that I would normally get from my corporate speaking yeah. engagements. So um, that's how the, 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 my business has changed. Was there a risk in that? I, I think the, I don't know if there was a risk that I took necessarily in that other than simply saying yes um, to something that was new to a vertical that was new <laughs> to me. Um, but I think what it you know, really also spoke to is something that I think we all have to just remember and lean into, which is A, being resourceful, um, B, you know, asking the question of not only where can I be more resourceful, but what's next? Not even just what's next. Where's the opportunity? And I think the combination of where can I be more resourceful and where's the opportunity can often, as I have just firsthand experience with now, uh, come to really appreciate is it can open doors for you that you would not have seen before. So yeah, Brooklyn is still on lockdown. <laughs> it's not as bad as, you know, March and April and, and certainly uh, May, but we're still on lockdown. You know, the grocery store still closed really early. <laughs> um, the city that yeah. never sleeps, sleeps. Um, but from a business standpoint, I'm just really, really happy to, to um, share that, that things have been well. And, and I've learned to be unabashed by that because a, I know it, for me, it comes from a deep space of gratitude, but B, I think it's important because yes, we need to respect and, and grieve along with those people that have lost loved ones that are maybe lost their jobs or lost their businesses. But I think in our, in, in embracing our truth as well, it just reminds all of us that there's always, always room for possibilities. Yes, I am so glad that you shared that. It's been an interesting year here too. 
Um, and I think that it's important for people to hear that you can still be successful this year. And one of the things that I noticed that you said in those two questions of being resourceful um, and asking like what's next is the ability to be innovative without having to reinvent the wheel. You took something that you already had mm -hmm. and you figured out how can I make this work for what's happening right now? And that allowed you to very quickly find a solution to the current problem mm -hmm. um, versus what I feel like I saw a lot of people do is kind of just throw everything out and say, I have to start over. And that's not necessarily true. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think especially, so here's the other thing, right? This absolutely is a crisis. This is real life, folks. No rehearsal here. I am giving Jaquette a moment to go answer her door. And while I'm allowing her that time to go take care of that, I wanted to pause for a moment to ask a favor of you. If you could head over to ratethispodcast.com slash fire. Again, that is ratethispodcast.com slash fire and leave us a star rating and review. Your star ratings, especially your written reviews, really help us here on the podcast because we read each and every one of them. And it's a great opportunity to tell us what you've enjoyed here the most. So we know to make more of that. And also like what you would like to hear or what topics you'd like us to cover next. Uh, this is really a great and easy way to give us some feedback because we love making sure that our episodes are created for you. They're made for you and with you in mind. So head on over. I promise that taking the pause to do that will not interrupt your listening to this episode if you're listening through an app. And let's get back to the show. I live in a brownstone. In any other time, there's always somebody here that can, you know, if you don't get the door, somebody else gets the door. But clearly, I must be the only one home today. <laughs> I'm like, everybody, where are these people? Too funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That just distracted me. So I forgot what I was going to say. So can you just level set me again? Yes. Um, I think we were going on the idea of like innovation doesn't have to be creating something new every time. Sometimes the most innovative thing we can do is take a look at what we already have and figure out how to make it work in the current circumstances. Um, and I saw that that's, that stood out to me is what you did. Yes. Yes. That is exactly <laughs> what I did. Thank you. And I, and, and the, the point that I wanted to make is that, yes, this is indeed a crisis unlike anything we've ever experienced before, but huge, but we have had collective crises before as well. <laughs> Hello, 2008, 2001, 1986, and then a whole bunch of other, you know, collective crises in between those time frames, that's A. B, individually, we've had crises, whether they've been in our personal lives or in our business. So the thing that I remind people of is that living through a crisis is not new. You've done it before. You're still here. That means you've done it before. So make sure you lean into your toolbox mm -hmm. to help you navigate this. And I think one of the ways that you can serve your energy while you are real time trying to adapt to 
the hyper uncertainty, because there's always uncertainty, but the hyper uncertainty that, you know, a, a crisis kind of brings to the forefront one of the ways that you conserve your energy is by indeed looking at what you already have and thinking about what about this can I tweak or make different or alter as opposed to starting from scratch because that takes a whole nother level of energy if you're creating something from scratch in the midst of a crisis versus tweaking something in the middle of a crisis. It's a different kind of energy and it's one that's a little less depleting, I think. Yeah, yeah, because I think that when you're going through a crisis, you definitely want to be mindful of how much energy you're putting into things too. So mm -hmm. I thank you for sharing that piece. That's so important. Um, you mentioned tools in the toolbox. If somebody were looking to really start to work on their pricing, um, and their financial health also like, dare I say, even their emotional mindset about their money, uh, how would they be able to begin to work with you? What are some of the ways that you work with your clients? Coaching. So I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, so that's one way I also, for pricing specifically, I host a pricing masterclass and I typically do that the last month of the quarter. And then I also host a dinner series where we get together and talk about money, business and life. And, you know, pre-COVID, we did that <laughs> in person over food and wine. Right now we do that virtually, <laughs> but still <laughs> over food and wine if you so choose. <laughs> Um, so those are the different ways, you know, that people can engage with me if they want to like work with me, but they can also like follow me on social media. And if they wanted to do something just on their own, one of the things that I would suggest is journaling, really spend a piece of your day observing, observing what is going on? How are you reacting when money is a part of either an experience or a conversation? Like document that so that you can have a better understanding of what your triggers are. You can have a better understanding of what is and is not working for you. You know, one of the things that I often ask people to do is to track their money. And they will often presume that I'm doing that because I want them to create a budget. And that's not it. <laughs> I mean, if you have one, that mm -hmm. if you end up having one after the fact, okay, that's cool. But I actually am asking people to track their money because you can't interrupt a pattern that you don't see. And so if you're tracking your money, what you're doing is collecting data. If you're journaling about your feelings and the things that are coming up for you around money, you're collecting data. And all of that data helps you to then have better insight. And I'm all about prioritizing insight over information. I love that concept, especially because the insight, you know, no one has as much insight into what's going on inside of you than you do. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know how to's and you know all of those things will only get you so far but if you really really want to go deep and make some significant changes um you got to tap into that that insight and you you only do that by doing the work like you can't again as i said at the top you can't microwave yourself to that 
Like it's not going to be a, you know, whoop, put it in for 30 seconds and I got an answer. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most beneficial things that I've invested in over the years has been um, working with individuals like yourself one-on-one. Um, and so I want the listeners to hear that because um, when you said information, you know, I think of like what a lot of people can do when they're just getting started or just beginning to recognize that they have something that they want to work on is hop onto the Google or hop onto the YouTube um, or even like start following people on social media. But I see a lot of that as consuming information and then you're like duct taping information and you have no idea which pieces actually apply to you. Um, So if you're listening to this and you've heard some things come up that uh, relate back to your money stories or your ability to increase your prices or your attachment of your worth to your prices, um, I'm going to highly recommend that they go check you out, Jaquette, and really look at some of the offerings that you have where they get to work with you in a coaching environment because you can create such like transformative results so much more rapidly that way than you can in consuming content. Oh God. Yes. (laughs) I so agree with this sentiment. I thank you for, you know, recommending people reach out to me and follow me. But even if they didn't do that, just the sentiment of make sure you understand the difference between consuming information. And I love your phrase of duct taping it and then actually doing something with it. You know, the Quakers have a saying, when you pray, move your feet. And I'm sure that other, you know, religious practices have a, an equivalent saying. But what I love about it, it is such a wonderful visual. Yes, pray for guidance and or whatever it is that you do, but you have got to take action. Like at some point, it can't just be about a mantra that you say and repeat to yourself with some frequency. You've got to do something. Absolutely. Um, And I just love the way that you look at money and finances from like a behavioral pattern standpoint. It's so powerful um, to just have that clarity on what you're doing, why you're doing it so that you can interrupt that. Mm -hmm. Now, I know I want to be mindful of your time today. So one of the things that's coming to my mind is uh, for anyone listening if you really enjoyed Jaquette like I did today, you are able to kind of get in on this conversation from a very different standpoint of voting with your dollars soon. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm so glad that you're coming over to pause on the play. Um, and I will have some information in the show notes about that if they'd like to join us in our community pause on the play and start talking about what it looks like to see the power and the impact that your money can have to facilitate change and just how every buying decision or every investment or every financial risk that you take um, can be impacting the world in very small ways that add up to very big ways. Oh my God. Can we pause there for a second? (laughs) Speaking of pause and play, do you have a a minute or two so we can just dive into ever so slightly? So, um, absolutely. I, so we, we are having this conversation in August And not too long ago, it was August 13th. And for those that might not be necessarily all tuned into, what's the big deal about that date? Well, that happened to have been Black Women's Equal Pay Day. So that's the the date 
in this year that it takes a Black woman to earn what her male counterpart earned the year before. So it's 19 months for her to be on, on you know, equal footing. And I wrote about it because one of my favorite, and this is all going to make sense in a minute, but one of my favorite shows is The Wire. I love that show. Um, and I love the show because <laughs> of, of its, its portrayal of all of the different layers that really go into, if you really want to eradicate illegal drugs, all of the different things that you've got to take into account, right? You've got to take into the illegal drugs, yep. but education, um, law enforcement, your um, local politics, the media coverage. And the whole point for me in sharing that is it's a complicated, multi-layered process. And so when it comes to voting with your dollars, for me, in order for us to really, if we, were, if we truly want to move beyond giving lip service to closing the gender and the racial wage gap and wealth gap, it's going to take a multitudinal approach to it. It's not going to be as simple as, oh, let's just increase wages. That will solve it all. That is not going to do it. And, and thank God for companies like Salesforce yeah. did indeed, you know, go through a whole exercise to get all of their folks on, on, on pay parity, but it cost them $10 million dollars. Not everybody, not every company is going to have the capacity to do that. And, and so I think voting for dollars, what we have to think about is the people that we are putting in office. So not just voting for dollars in terms of the businesses that we support with our purchases, therefore with our dollars, but the people that we're sending to Washington, are they really prioritizing and putting forth bills that support small businesses? It's a question mark. But if you're if you don't know that answer about your mm. person, then that means that either you need to have more communication with their office. Like I just oh, I could go on and on. But and we and I know we'll do that and on pause and play. But I just wanted to to pause for a moment right here and just plant that as voting with your dollars is not simply about, you know, being discerning around what companies you will or will not do business with. That is a an absolute piece of the puzzle, but there are so many other pieces as well. And we need to make sure that we are, if not doing all of those pieces of the puzzle, at least aware of what those pieces are. Absolutely. And this conversation cannot be more relevant right now, especially because we're coming up on an election year mm-hmm. and we will literally be voting for what affects our dollars. Yes. <laughs> and, and for some of us, our lives. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> oh God, I know. I know, I know. Before you go, I want to ask you, number one, um, is there anything else that you'd like to add or any actions specifically that you'd like to take for our listeners? I'm going to go back to the journaling piece because I know that money can kind of kick up a whole bunch of stuff. And what I'm going to suggest is instead of dismissing whatever that stuff is that comes up, to just get curious about it and get curious about it without any sort of judgment. You know, you're not wrong. You're not bad. 
it is just information that you are collecting. And if you prefer, it's data that you are collecting so that you can get to know yourself more. So if you were to do nothing else after listening to this, just take five minutes and just, you know, write down what are your first thoughts, best thoughts kind of a thing in terms of the immediate emotional stuff that bubbled up for you. Yeah. And I'm going to say if you're prone to being very resistant to journaling, um, if you could, we'll put in the show notes, but also um, go check out Jaquette's financial wheel exercise. I think that that's going to be really beneficial for those of you like me that just like kind of clam up the moment you hear journaling (laughs) can get you started with doing something. Um, Good point. And then... And then the other thing uh, that I love asking every listener is what is one thing that you felt like has really helped you flaunt your inner fire? Oh, my goodness. Um, I guess if I were to say one thing, I would say time. But to put that into context, um, time for what? So as one of my friends from Mississippi always says, God willing and the creek don't rise. I will be 55 in November. So what? As- you look so much younger. Oh, yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, so time from the standpoint of just feeling more and more comfortable in my own skin and embracing and appreciating my difference as opposed to feeling self-conscious about that. I think that has helped me. And the next thing that I'm about to say may sound really weird, but I think going through the process of grief. And what do I mean by that? Um, My mother died in 2014. Shortly after that, the man I was with for almost five years, we broke up and then he died. And then I know some people may be like, really? And then my cat died. (laughs) So like all of that happened in a short amount of time. And those were really profound losses for me. And I'm really grateful to be able to say that while I know grief never goes away, the acuteness of it is is a lot less so, and I'm feeling lighter and much better and all of that. But I think what comes with that is my tolerance for BS is almost zero. (laughs) My boundaries are really, really, really clear. And I think time and grief in a really odd way, have just really, you know, converged to come together in a way that, again, makes me feel so much more comfortable in my own skin. It's almost like I don't have time to be anything else. Yeah, I don't have time to be anything else. And so I think that is what puts me in a position to flaunt my fire and, and to do it unabashedly. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, A, not easy things to share. And and B, like they have the power to completely change 
how you see time in itself, let alone how you're spending it and how you choose to show up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Powerful. <laughs> Powerful conversation here today. I'm so glad that we made this happen. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. I truly, truly appreciate it. <sighs> Isn't Jacquette wonderful? I'm so glad we were able to bring this conversation to you today. And if you enjoy Jaquette as much as I did, I'm going to encourage you to head over to pauseontheplay.com. Again, that is pauseontheplay.com slash community and get your application in today. Jaquette will be joining us very, very soon on September 30th for a live conversation within our community. And so you want to get that application and in enough time to join Jaquette and be able to submit your questions for Jaquette to answer for you. Again, that is pauseontheplay.com slash community. And until then, take care. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From Implicit to Explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?